Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to an HBO podcast from the HBO Late Night series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Start the clock. Good afternoon. At the Thank you, thank you. Well, I... (laughs) I... (laughs) I know I say it every week. I gotta say it again. I think I know why the liberals are happy tonight. Uh, Finally, the Senate has confirmed President Obama's choice for Attorney General Loretta Lynch after 165 days of stonewalling and history is made. She is the first black woman attorney general in the United States. And uh, and not a moment too soon. Uh, She said her first priority in office will be to free Ben Affleck's slaves. And I think that's a a great... (laughs) The silliest scandal I've ever heard, but... uh, a lot of uh, women in the news this week. Uh, Hillary is now not the only woman running for president. On the Republican side, Carly Fiorina has thrown her hat in the ring. (laughs) She is running as the uh, junior senator from California, which is unique because she was not elected to that office. Uh, Now, she comes from the world of business. She, She always says, and it's true, that she turned around Hewlett Packard. Not in the right direction, but she did <laughs> turn it in a direction. And, uh, uh, other women? Oh, Bruce Jenner. Uh, Bruce... <laughs> the big interview was that I think it's going on right now. Please, no spoilers. <laughs> I T-voted, uh, which is ironic because sometimes my TiVo also cuts things off. It's... <laughs> Please, what I meant to say is he's an inspiration. An inspiration to thousands of people who have male genes but wear mom jeans. It's an inspiration. I, I kid the Kardashians. You know, they got political this week. Did you see that? It's the 100th anniversary of the Armenian genocide. And uh, they were Armenian, of course. There was a demonstration here today. I couldn't barely get to work. I'm like, why us? <laughs> to the Armenians, but... No, but there was a genocide 100 years ago. They're right about that. And, uh, you know, they're pissed off. I don't blame them that the United States will not use the word genocide because we're friends with Turkey, who did it. And, sorry, we're not going to upset Turkey, but you know who said it's a genocide? The Pope. Pope is like, fuck yeah, it's a genocide. (laughs) Pope. (laughs) Say, uh... 
The Pope has huge balls. You got to admit that. You would too if you were 78 and never had sex. That's all I'm going to say about that. But, of course, the woman who's really dominating the news again this week is Hillary Clinton because of another scandal. Uh, The conservatives are saying this is the worst Hillary scandal since uh, whatever the one last week was. (laughs) This one is about money. Uh, Apparently, there's a new book out called Clinton Cash. It alleges the Clintons were, you know, using their charitable foundation. They got money from that. And then the foreign interests would somehow get Hillary Clinton to make decisions based on their needs as Secretary of State she was at the time. Whatever the fuck. I mean, (laughs) Hillary says she has not read the book, but it's on her computer and she can't wait to delete it. Um, (laughs) I tell you this, a couple more months of boring, vague Hillary scandals, we are going to be begging Bill Clinton to get blown by an intern again. That's... (laughs) That's my prediction. Now, and I'm not saying that's not a scandal there, but you know what? The author is a guy named Peter Schweitzer. He's a former policy advisor to Sarah Palin. Uh, he was the one who explained to her that the blue stuff on the maps was water. Um, I, you know... <laughs> know if the Clintons are hiding anything, but if I advised Sarah Palin on foreign policy, I would concentrate on burying that. <laughs> it's, it's like your resume saying, I also do Donald Trump's hair. <laughs> Donald Trump's hair, you know. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're uh, applauding me because I got that word out? Thank you very much. What a low bar we're working with tonight. Well, what's going on, meanwhile, in the presidential race, I must say, is horrifying. I mean, it was bad enough when two small states like New Hampshire and Iowa were making the decisions as kingmakers. Now it's like we're down to, like, two billionaires who are doing this. The Koch brothers, did you see this this week? Okay, first they said it was going to be Scott Walker. And then, oh, whoops, sorry, spoiler alert, too soon. No, no, let, let's have a little more of it, you know, of an audition period. So now they announced their five semifinalists who got roses. Uh, <laughs> Scott Walker, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio. Those are the five. And uh, Bobby Jindal's agent called and said, just meet with them. <laughs> just... <laughs> And the thousand-year-old billionaire, Sheldon Adelson, he also has picked the candidate he wants to shower money on, Marco Rubio. And people said to him, Sheldon, why Marco Rubio? And he said, because Anna Nicole Smith is dead. (laughs) 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 Sheldon is uh, this weekend hosting his annual Republican-Jewish coalition there in uh, Las Vegas at the hotel he owns there, the Venetian. And uh, George W. Bush is going. He's getting paid $250,000. He's not even speaking. He's just doing a DJ set by the pool. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is unfortunate for Sheldon. He picked a bad weekend to do this because, you know, he wanted all the presidential hopefuls to come by. But they're all in Iowa. Because in Iowa this weekend, I'm, like I have to tell you, it's the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition Spring Dinner. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a big event, very prestigious. It's, uh, uh, Rick Perry was told that it was black tie only, and he, and he said, won't we all get cold? 
got a great show. Liz Mayer, Christopher Caldwell, and Anna Marie Cox are here in a little over speaking with celebrity chef Eddie Wong is backstage. But first up, he is a lifelong champion of the environment who appears in the documentary Trace Amounts, available now online, and is the editor of The Mirasol, Let the Science Speak, a book on the same issue. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is back with us. Robert, it's been so long. How are you? You look great. Well, uh, okay, so I saw you, uh, you have a full-page ad that you printed in USA Today about this issue, the Marisol, which yes. is the uh, preservative, the mercury-based preservative in vaccines. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to put it in context. You are one of the greatest environmental crusaders we've ever had, so I'm assuming... <laughs> I don't think anyone would dispute that. So your history with mercury goes back a long way. I mean, it, you're yeah, into the I, vaccine I, I, thing now, but you've gotten it out of rivers, I, right? I, I, yeah, I got, uh, I got dragged into the vaccine issue kind of kicking and screaming because I was going around the country suing coal-burning power plants and talking about the dangers of mercury coming from those plants. And almost everywhere I stopped uh, or I spoke, I, there were women there, very eloquent, articulate, grounded people who were saying, look, you have to look at the biggest vector of mercury in American children now is coming from vaccines, and we need you to look at the science. And um, I resisted for a long time, but I started reading the science after a while. And I, I'm very comfortable reading science. I, I've brought hundreds and hundreds of successful lawsuits. Almost all of them have involved scientific controversy. So I'm, look, I'm good. I'm I'm comfortable reading science and dissecting it and discerning the difference between junk science and real science. And when I started looking at it, uh, what I saw was very alarming, which we were giving huge amounts of mercury to our children. A lot of it has been taken out of vaccines, but there's still an extraordinary right. amount still in the vaccines, and particularly the but, flu vaccine. But why, then why, if that's true, why, why is everyone lined up against you? Why are you so alone on this? I mean, a lot of people say, I mean, the book is called Let the Science Speak, and so many people say, well, the science has spoken. We have studied this over and over, not just in America, other countries, and we say that it is not the mercury. Well, the, there's a difference between the bureaucratic uh, regulatory establishment and scientists. And if you look at the scientific literature, we were able to find for this book, we spent three years looking at the scientific literature, and the scientific literature is virtually unanimous, Bill, about the dangers of, of thimerosal and the links between thimerosal and the, um, an epidemic of neurological disorders that are now afflicting American children. ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, hyperactivity disorder, ASD, and autism, all of which began in 1989, which was the year that they changed the vaccine schedule. And we've seen animal studies, toxicological studies, clinical studies, cadaver studies, they all say this. But you're not anti-vax. You vaccinate your... I am your... very pro-vaccine. Right. You just I want to get all, the mercury. Yeah, all, all of my kids... I had all my kids vaccinated. I want to see government policies that promote full coverage of vaccines. The only way to do that is to have safe vaccines and to have a, have a, uh, a credible regulatory process with regulators with integrity. And we don't have that today. And I... 
Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the movie that I saw is about how the CDC is corrupt. That's, but even if the CDC is corrupt, why is the World Health Organization and the National Academy of Sciences and the American Pediatrician Society and scientists from other countries, why are they lining up on the other well, side of the, the issue? the CDC really kind of controls the field. And CDC... Um, and, you know, there's a... Well, let me explain what's happening at CDC because then you can see how it... Um, how it is pervasive in these other uh, bureaucratic institutions. So there's been four separate scathing federal studies about the CDC, and all of them by the United States and the United States Congress, the Inspector General of HHS, and the Office of Research Integrity last year, they paint a picture of CDC as a cesspool of corruption, as, as an organization that's been completely taken over by the vaccine industry. And there, there's two divisions at CDC where the corruption is most important. The first is the division that chooses which vaccines to add to the schedule. So when you and I were kids, we got three to five vaccines. My kids get, got 16, uh, 57 inoculations from 16 vaccines. Why did that happen? Why are new vaccines added to the schedule? And there are 271 new vaccines in the CDC pipeline that are due to be added to that schedule. In 1989, it suddenly became very, very lucrative to put a vaccine on the schedule because the year before, Congress made it illegal for Americans to sue vaccine companies, no matter how badly injured they were from the vaccines. They gave them a shield against any liability. Suddenly, vaccines became very, very lucrative and you've got the federal government ordering 200 million people to buy your product. There is no advertising, no marketing, and you can't be sued. So those new vaccines worth a billion dollars a year to some of these companies. We would hope that the people who add those vaccines to the schedule would be kind of geeky science types who are only concerned with human health. But that's not how it works. Most of them are vaccine in industry insiders. And I'm going to give you an example. In 1999, Dr. Paul Offit, who's the, the vaccine... Yeah, I've seen him on TV. Yeah. Sure. And he's the leading voice face for the vaccine industry. He sat on, a, on one of these committees that added the rotavirus vaccine to the schedule. And he owned a rotavirus patent. So six years later, he was able... And he voted. He didn't recuse himself. He voted to add them to the schedule. Six years later, he sold his patent for $182 million. He told Newsweek that it was like winning the lottery. So um, the Inspector General's report said that 64% of the people who sit on those committees have the same kind of conflicts that Dr. Offit had, and that as many as 97% of them may have those conflicts because they didn't, they didn't fill out their conflict uh, disclosure forms. So you've got a, you've got a, the way that, that you've got American people who are saying, well, wait a second, all these new vaccines that we're taking, are they being added because they're concerned with human health or are they being added because these people are making money on it? Number two, this wait, is... Wait, just let me ask a broader question here. Okay. I, I just, why can't we have a kind of a grand bargain on this. It just seems like we're calling each other kooks and liars, and it seems like common sense that vaccines, I mean, even Thermarisol, probably don't 
hurt most people. I mean, if they did, we'd all be dead because they're in a lot of vaccines that we all took. But some do. Obviously, some minority get hurt by this stuff. I don't understand why this is controversial, why we have this emotional debate about something that there is science there. it, It astounds me that liberals, who are always suspicious of corporations, and you just laid out that case, and defending minorities, somehow when it comes to this minority that's hurt, it's like, you know what, shut the fuck up. And let me take every vaccine that Merck wants to shove down my throat. What, but, you know, I, I, I'm focused on mercury because mercury is a thousand times more neurotoxic than lead. There's no argument about that. Everybody yeah, but, knows but, that. Like, it, Why it, would you put mercury in a vaccine that you're going to give a pregnant woman? Why would you give it to children who are less than 24 hours old? We know, would you give lead? Would you shoot okay, lead? But, in that movie, it says that the EPA... Is the movie Trace Amounts, yes. which, is, which everybody should see. Because okay, but, but the movie says uh, that the EPA allows two parts per billion of mercury, but the average vaccine has 50,000 parts uh, per right. billion. Okay, if it was 25,000 <laughs> times more dangerous than what's in water, again, wouldn't we all be dead? No, because, uh, f- first of all, mercury impact certain if mercury at that level is going to impact a lot of people and you know at, at this point cdc says that generation that from 19 that vaccinated generation from 1989 that one out of every six of them have a neurological disorder add adhd you know these these ones but we, we count it differently which, now too which we yeah, diagnose you and more. i didn't know people yeah, I, when we were growing up with autism Right. You know, or with, you know, the first we ever heard of it was on Rain Man. Well, we didn't, I, but we didn't know gay people either. Oh. Because <laughs> they were in the closet. Anyway, I got to go, but I applaud you for championing this because we do need to talk about it more, and I thank you for well, doing it. Well, thank that. you for having me on. Yeah, thank I know a lot of people won't. It takes a lot of courage to, to talk about this, and uh, the networks won't let... Uh, anybody on. I know. And there, as you know, there's well, no checks and balances. Well, because the pharmaceutical companies are the ones who sponsor the news. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Robert F. Kennedy. All right. Thank you, Bobby. Let's meet our panel. Okay. Hey. All right. Here they are. She's a political contributor to the Daily Beast and Bloomberg View. Anna Marie Cox is with us. Hey, Anna. How you doing? He is a senior editor at the Weekly Standard, Christopher Caldwell. Hey, Chris. And she's a Republican political consultant, Liz Mayer, back with us. Hey, Liz. How are you doing? All right, remember to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and send us your questions for tonight's Overtime. And if you're watching from outside the U.S., we'd like to hear from you for next week's special edition of Overtime Overseas. Okay, so let's play a little game tonight, since we have two liberals and two conservatives, (laughs) of who's worse. (laughs) And tonight's topic is who's worse when it comes to being a bad American (laughs) for selling out to foreign interests. Now, we can talk about two things. We can talk about the Clinton cash, you know, maybe they're selling their access to foreign interests, that's what the allegation is. And then let's talk about, you know, Citizens United and Sheldon Adelson 
and, and why Republicans suddenly want to love Israel so much like they should marry it, I think. <laughs> Is that all just coming from someplace other than the fact that they get a lot of their money from a guy who also loves Israel that much? But let's start with the Clinton situation. Is there a there there? Um, with the Clintons, there's always at least a at least a hair there, you know. Um, I, I, I think there's at least half of a there there. Um, I, I, the thing about the Clintons that's so amazing to me is that, you know, you've heard that it's better to ask permission, or it's better to, to, to apologize than to ask permission. They seem to not to want to ask permission or apologize. I mean, they want to just do what they do, and if it looks shady, they, they raise their hands and, and, and can't believe that you're accusing them of anything. I mean, this looks bad. Um, there's a part of me that feels like it looks so bad it can't possibly be true. Like, they're not that stupid. But then again... They're pretty stupid. I hope, well, I hope to so, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I hope to God it's not true. That's yeah. that's my general attitude towards this. But with that being said, I agree with you. I mean, it's bad optics, and there are some ethical problems here, regardless of whether you know anybody was buying access or Hillary did anything based on what donations were made to the Clinton Foundation. I mean, fundamentally, but she was doing. There... They, were, they were doing something they weren't supposed to. They didn't disclose mm -hmm. it, and then when it came out. They basically threw their hands but, up, handled but, but, but it absolutely. Yeah. Given, given that he runs this giant, and it is a charity, mm -hmm. let's not forget that. It does mm -hmm. a lot of good work, the sure. Clinton Foundation. Sure. It's sure. not there to make money. Democrats generally don't get their jollies for making money. They are... Do they? Really? <laughs> I think I don't really... That depends, I mean, that depends on your Democrats. You think, yeah, that, you think right. the Democrats are in it, and the, the Clintons specifically, to make money? I think they're policy wonks who get their jollies from well, the government. Think, Whereas I the think, Republicans... I think, I think Bill Clinton just wants to be loved. Yeah, yes, think, yes, more than money. I agree. More than yeah. money. They like, they like government, and they, and they like power would be the less uh, charitable way of putting it. <laughs> mm -hmm. that, if you wanted, that if you wanted money, you'd go to work in Wall Street. If you wanted power, you'd go to work in politics. And in this case, I think that whether or not anything can be proved wrong, uh, whether, it can, whether or not it can be proved that, that the Clintons were offering anything, the people who gave the money in these foreign companies yeah. thought they were getting something. Yeah, they obviously yeah. were hoping for but, it, right? Yeah. And she should, I, I think fundamentally, whether or not anything was being bought, she should have recused herself yeah. in the case of this urine, but, urine let me just, uh, let me just I, There is something wrong here, even if it's not what a lot of people Okay, think. but I just want to push back on one point, which is this idea that the Clintons are constantly involved in a scandal of one sort or the other. Uh, this is what Wayne LaPierre, <laughs> the head of the NRA, said last week at the NRA convention. He said, Hillary's history of scandal is almost endless. Whitewatergate, Cattlegate, I don't remember that one. Jennifer Flowersgate, that's her husband's <laughs> mistress. Nannygate, Lincoln Bedroomgate, Travelgate, Troopergate, Filegate, Paula Jonesgate, Vince Fostergate, Helicoptergate, I don't remember that one. Coffeegate, Web Huddle, Hubble Hush Moneygate, Monica Gate, again, somebody, not her. Um, and, and I just want to say that Ken Starr, who was the special prosecutor, was assigned to look into all these and certainly wanted to find something. In his report, Ken Starr's report, he said, I got nothing but the blowjob. <laughs> so, you know what? It's kind of a bullshit meme that the media keeps perpetuating because they like a scandal, Wait, no, no matter no, who it is. Except also she keeps perpetuating it. Yes. Because I would say, like, and I'm a, I support Hillary Clinton, but um, part of the problem is that they get wrapped up in these, in the, in their own, around their own axle on these mm -hmm. things. I mean, they, they, I agree with you, those aren't 
those aren't actually, many of them aren't actually scandals. There is no there there. But somehow the Clintons seem to behave as though there yeah. is. No, it's I a mean, structural. And I wish that they it's would, a, it, it is. It's, it's a structural thing. It's a matter of interlocking directorates, basically. I don't know how you wouldn't have well, some also, of this with but, a wife who's the Secretary of State and a husband who's well, in charge of this giant... Well, and perhaps that's part of the issue yeah. in the so first place, So he should have given right? up the charity, so, is what you're saying? Yeah, well, or, or, or they should have stuck to the agreement that they right. had when she entered the administration okay. about not taking foreign money. Right. But, I, but just to quickly add, I think, looking at this from a political operative's perspective, it's amazing just how badly the Clintons routinely handle this. And so, yeah, that, that perpetuates this, too. Too, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Some's the media, some's that. Part two of who's worse. <laughs> uh, the Sunlight Foundation says this about Citizens United. Citizens United created an environment in which it's perfectly legal for shell nonprofit corporations, and I would put quotes in nonprofit because we know they're really not, to engage in election-related spending on behalf of a hidden interest. And there is nothing to ensure that that hidden interest is not a foreign national, a foreign company, or a foreign government. And again, is the over-the-top love that the Republicans suddenly have for Israel not related to the fact that Sheldon Adelson, <laughs> a man who wants to drop a nuke, he said that. There he is, good-looking guy, isn't he? <laughs> uh, uh, wants to, nice Sheldon Adelson wants to drop a nuke in the Iranian desert, just to show them we mean business. This is something a drunkard Houlihan says. <laughs> but he loves him some Israel. I mean, I'm a supporter of Israel. But you know what? Here's Bloomberg poll on GOP support for Israel. 30% say Israel is an ally, but we should pursue America's interest when we disagree. 67%. Israel is an important ally, the only democracy in the region, and we should support it even if our interests diverge. That's unconditional love. We're not supposed to do that with other countries. Yeah. It's a funny thing, but it's a... We barely have it in marriages. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think it's that... I, I don't think that's the only explanation for the conservative... Uh, convergence between Republicans and, uh, and, and Adelson on Israel. There's a shared... They, they see them as a beleaguered... Uh, Israel is a beleaguered country fighting a war surrounded by terrorists. But there's an overlap in, in beliefs, just the way there is, just the way well, um, uh, Democrats get a lot of money from, from labor unions, and you would never say that it just occurred to them one morning to... Uh, to, to, to pay to, to, to support labor when they get the labor money. I remember when Jim Baker said, fuck the Jews, they don't vote for us anyway. And now he's advising Jeb Bush, so that's, that's an interesting one, right? I think, I think if... I mean, you've made this point previously, I think, that a lot of um, Republican sentiment with regard to Israel isn't necessarily established by somebody like Adelson. It's a lot to do with the evangelical yeah. base of the party because yeah, evangelicals do feel extremely is, yep. strongly. And so I think when we look at, you know, what's really driving sort of foreign policy stances when when it comes to Israel. I mean, some of that is legitimately what people think. Some of that is catering to the base. And yeah, there may be a few people who, who sort of see anything they can get from Adelson as gravy, as it were. Well, but I think fundamentally this is about, you know, a lot of the volunteer base that you're going to be dealing with, particularly in a state like Iowa, probably is more socially conservative, more evangelically inclined. And so, you know, that's going to give people a reason to but, sort but of... But if Sheldon, Adelson, I mean, if Sheldon Adelson was a Hindu... <laughs> That's what I, I'm saying. I mean, what, don't you think the issue would be we have got to stop killing cows? <laughs> well, I think we have got. I, 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 I just. I kind of want to test that in reality, you know? 
I kind of like to see a yeah. presidential candidate stand up and like make a big deal about no killing of cows. I, but I but I do honestly think until you see the base of the party also agreeing that we must not kill cows, probably <laughs> that's going to be a rather fringe position. That I mean I don't know. I, you know, I, I, here's I a constituent that, that, that somebody's going to go there. is but, incredibly powerful. He's the only person that Chris Christie has ever apologized to. Ever. I mean, and Chris Christie defended a lot of people. Chris Christie, yeah. asked, I, I mean, has Bruce Springsteen ever asked Chris Christie <laughs> to apologize? Because I bet he'd apologize. Yes. To, I bet he'd apologize. Do, do you guys still defend Citizens United, the, the system we have now? I would defend a part of it, which is that um, a, there's a lot of people who know a lot about Hillary Clinton that they wouldn't have known other than the without the movie that would have been banned by Citizens United that would have been banned. Okay, but we're, talk, we're talking about the fact of the unlimited money so that I mean, billionaires can give. I mean, I remember in 2008, you could give, what, 2300 mm -hmm. Okay, 2012, I remember I gave a million dollars, okay, because I was trying to make the point, hey, the, the, this is where the field has moved to the million dollar level. Well, that's quaint now. Yeah. A million dollars is... Now well, we're at the billion-dollar level. I, I, this yeah. this is not free speech. This is not what the founders intended, is it? This is not fair. Well, I, I mean... This fundamentally deals Citizens United fundamentally deals with the issue of broadcast and within certain time periods of the election it's a very specific thing I think generally people now hear Citizens United and they use that as sort of a shorthand for money in politics well yeah okay well, yeah. well that's what I'm talking about right the decision that allowed unlimited money in politics but it allowed something very specific my point is is that if you weren't doing like broadcast based particular electioneering there was still unlimited I mean you had lots of soft money in politics you had lots of advocacy and all of these things could influence it. As for but your that, point about but, the film, but, I actually don't know very many people yeah, who have seen that, yeah, so I actually right. don't... It's not about the movie, you two. Come on, let's get off this bullshit idea yeah. that it's about seeing a movie. To decide it the other way would have meant, meant saying, you can't show this movie, which would have been a, an outright first amendment. Uh, but it's not about the movie. I mean, it's I about the $889 million yeah. that the Koch brothers are going to put into the election, which makes them the equivalent... Of a third party, yes. like that is a, that is a as first much. Party. Money. Well, yeah, I first just, party. I just, I personally, and that is. But what's really, really amazing about that, and I want people to put this in context, that is less than one percent of what the Koch brothers own. But, right. no, but this no, is just a yeah. drop in the bucket. They are just like we're laying money. I, I it was, was just, I was five just, billion. As, as, as a libertarian, I Rhode Island like is worth forty-seven. If, if they were willing to sort of exert that influence more to actually drive the Republican Party in a more expressly libertarian direction, I would feel far yeah. more comfortable with that. Well, yeah, that's the problem with having us individual. Giving all this money is that yes, it's it, it's their individual okay. whims that are that. that well, that's the thing. Right. I mean, well, yeah. I, Depending me, on, I have to interrupt here. because I'm glad we got into the subject of income inequality because I notice Republicans are using that phrase now, yes, but I also notice that they will not use the other two phrases that Democrats usually say along with that. One of them is class warfare, mm -hmm. and the other one is two Americas. But. We saw more evidence of two Americas this week. There was a third grade, yes, third grade teacher in a very poor neighborhood in Denver who gave her class an assignment, and it was called, I Wish My Teacher Knew. Write an essay, I Wish My Teacher Knew. And some of the responses were heartbreaking because it's a poor area. Like, I wish my teacher knew I didn't have pencils at home to do my homework. I wish my teacher knew I, how much I miss my dad because he got deported to Mexico. So, sad. And then we thought, well, what about the other America? What if we gave that assignment in Beverly Hills? 
So we asked the teacher in Beverly Hills, would you like to hear some of the responses? Some... Uh, I wish my teacher knew the lady who comes to my parent-teacher conferences is actually my nanny. I wish my teacher knew the more I learn, the less chance I have of landing a reality show. I wish my teacher knew I can never tell when mommy's angry because her forehead doesn't move. It's, it's very different there. I wish my teacher knew how boring it is at Lake Como since Clooney got married. Yeah, these are, these are so different. I wish my teacher knew daddy helps the maid vacuum from behind. <laughs> Kids say the darndest things. I wish my teacher knew that my sex tape drops on May 3rd. <laughs> I wish my teacher knew that my family came to this country with nothing but $30 million in Iranian currency. <laughs> I wish my teacher knew she hasn't taught me anything because all knowledge comes from Scientology. All right, he hosts the Vice series Wong's World and is the author of Fresh Off the Boat, a memoir. Eddie Wong is over here. Eddie, hey, great to meet you. How you doing? Definitely. Definitely. Eddie, how you doing? I'm good. How I'm you so doing? I'm so glad we have you on. We don't have nearly as, uh, as many Asian Americans as we should have on. Yeah, I mean, have you had it? When was the last Asian American you had on here? Uh, I see. You stopped. No, we had, we had Tiger Mom. You ever had David Carradine? David Carradine. Yeah, Kung Fu: The Legend Continues. Is he Asian? <laughs> no, yeah. I, I you're figured fucking, you had him. I figured yeah. you had him though. So your, your sitcom is is uh, doing very well, fresh off the boat. But it, I, it is. I, I, it is. but. And before we get to your interesting background, I want to know about the sitcom because you must be happy it's doing well, and yet I know you are a little pissed off at the sitcom itself for not fulfilling the dream as you saw it. So should we watch it or should we boycott it? No, I think the thing is, is you know, the, sex, the success of the show doesn't make me happy or unhappy. I don't care. Um, I don't care if people watch it or not watch it. I think people should make their own decision what they feel about this show. And that's why I've been speaking out. Because I go to colleges, I talk to kids, I go on Twitter and I see their responses. And there's a lot of Asians out there that feel pressure to like this show. And they have issues with it. They see issues with it. But they don't want to say anything because they're like, we finally got invited to the party. We're right. finally having reflections and representations of but ourselves. But I feel like you wanted to break the stereotype. And then you <laughs> got caught in the Hollywood mill and you found out, no, the Hollywood feels, no, it better to use the stereotypes. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they want to tell universal white stories with yellow faces, black faces, brown faces, but they tell the same universal story. And you go watch how you these know, sitcoms are made in I, writer's rooms. They're like labs, dude. It's like GMO food right, they're making. Right. <laughs> You're right. But I got to... I know there are more important issues than this, but you mentioned this. I, I never got the yellow thing. I don't see Asian people as yellow. I have never seen yellow when I don't see colors that great, but you're not, I don't see you as a yellow person. I just go with it so Who that I can yellow? claim the emojis as my people. Okay. All right, I'm glad we got that cleared up. 
Um, so who do the Asians cheat off of when they take a test? <laughs> I'm just... Jewish people. Jewish people. Jewish well, that's people. interesting because you say the way to understand Asians is through the Jewish family. You say there's a lot of parallels. There's, there's a ton of parallels. Like um, what? Uh, bagels, <laughs> bows, right? Bagels what? Bagels and bows. bows. Breakfast, breakfast items, right? I don't right? know what that is. Laundromats. We're both excellent with the laundromat game. Oh, right. Yeah. We're but, also but, both excellent with the accounting game, right? right. Cash businesses. We love cash businesses, <laughs> right? Your parents want you to be doctors, lawyers, accountants. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, that's, that's such an interesting thing. Here, riddle me this one. Okay, so when we, when we think of the stereotype of Asia, we think, well, Western man is proactive. Yeah. Eastern man is more fatalistic. Yeah. And yet, when they come to America... They're so super ambitious to the point where they drive their kids hard. I think, you know, your memoir says your father was kind of cruel. Yeah, and, it kinda, yeah. and it comes from, I want you people to succeed. That's the tiger mom thing. Not fatalistic at all. Um, the, no, we have a lot of pressure to succeed, to be successful. Yes. But it's in a very defined way. It's not success to the individual. It's success to the greater society, to the family, to the 5,000 years of history. Like... If I could count how many times... Yeah, my mom, like, if I didn't do well in algebra, she's like, you are letting down 5,000 years of history. <laughs> it's <laughs> right? true. Yeah. And she's like, you have disappointed me eight lifetimes. I'm like, why eight? <laughs> and she's like, I feel like I've been reincarnated eight times, and you've let me down for all eight times. No. That's, that's so you always yeah, carry that, the weight yeah. of everybody with you, right. you know. Do you do impressions of your family? A lot of uh, people do. To, to, to I'm, I'm not the be- I'm not very good at impressions, especially like not on the spot. But no, I'm not. My brother's better at it. He likes to imitate Vien- Vietnamese people at false spots. That's his thing. <laughs> that's his thing. But uh, I also find it. They don't very... want him to do it on the show, though. No, of course they don't not. Want him to do it on the show. It's it's interesting that you know you found sort of your savior in in a couple of things: food. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. I mean, you were when you were a kid, you moved to Orlando, you were picked on, you were different. Your lunch smelled funny, right? Yeah, I still smell funny, but my lunch smells better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that you're rich, nobody cares what you smell like. Nobody cares. My car is uh, yellow. Nobody cares. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, and hip-hop. You know, yeah. this was something you related to because you, all, you felt like, oh, I'm an outsider and they're speaking as outsiders, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Asian men have been emasculated so much in America that we're basically treated like black women. So I related a lot to Tupac. Tupacalypse, me against the world, and, like, when I sit on OK Cupid, I'm just like, no one wants to talk to me either. <laughs> I think it's great that you make them uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, that's, we need more of that. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, that's the thing with sitcoms, right? It's right. like, if you keep telling jokes people have already heard, and, right. and like, you're, you write these sitcoms, and then they go in to test them with people, and they have dials. They're literally watching the show, turning the dials, and... What happens is they'll say, oh, that joke didn't land, the dials turned left. Oh, that joke landed, sure. it turned right. And they go back to the writer's room and they're like, right to the test. And it's, it's very strange. It's a strange way to make artwork. You write a book, you probably do it in your home. I, I write a book, I don't even have pants on. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
One more Asian question. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, sure. As long as I, I, I love representing yeah, the entire well, country. I, was, of I, was, <laughs> I just, I just want to know, <laughs> wh why did the word Oriental become a? a, a <laughs> I'm no. I mean, I, I mean, I understand why the N word is horrible, but I don't understand why, like one day, it was like, well, that's an insult. I don't know. I, I, See? I mean, you don't know. People have told me it is an insult. Right. But I claim it. I say I'm Oriental really? like rugs and five spice. Right. Yeah. Now what about Chinaman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. It's the preferred nomenclature, right? All right. Just don't piss on my rug. Right. Okay. All right. I know you know a lot about criminal justice. You went to law school. Yes, I did. I Isn't worked at the something? Innocence Project for a year while I was okay. there. But yeah, when then, the then, then this is perfect for you and the panel. Uh, this was a big story in the news this week. This is from the Washington Post. The Justice Department and FBI have formally acknowledged that nearly every examiner in an elite FBI forensic unit gave flawed testimony in almost all trials in which they offered evidence for two decades before the year 2000, including 32 people who were put to death. Uh, this is astounding. They reviewed 268 trials, 95% of them, they said, they overstated forensic matches in a way that favored prosecutors. <laughs> wow. You know, I gotta say, this country, <clears throat> tough on the innocent. <laughs> tough on the guilty, but tough on the innocent, too. We're pretty light on the guilty. I mean... Well, yeah. <laughs> to be so, just to be totally honest. I mean, yeah, I that's true. You, you have a likelihood... Not, 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 people, if, not if they're guilty in, like, Texas or Florida. Or, well, actually, you know, the, I mean. what I was actually going to say, all of this is just a... I mean, I want to say, first and foremost, a really great example of why we should not have the death penalty. Yes, period. That's true. Um, there are stories after stories that have come out. The Innocence Project has done, has done a lot of great work. Um, uh, recently, there was a, a man who was let out in, in Shreveport, Louisiana. The prosecutor wound up writing an editorial himself saying he knew he was presenting flawed evidence. I think there is something of a mentality, a go get em bad guys mentality mm -hmm. that we have that, that, that weights us on the side, that somehow weights everyone on the side of guilty. We really we have this tenet in our system that you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. We find again and again that people are presumed to be guilty. This is what happened in the FBI. The thing is, is that our justice system believes in an adversarial mm -hmm. system, that right. truth comes out of yeah. adversarial conflict and contention. Right. And so the and better it, lawyer is going to win. That's but, exactly but there's right. Also a, Ask the, Robert Durst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But science, science advances too, and, 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 it sort of, and, and part of our shock is that we now have the ability to do... To do I, this is mostly evidence, I think, this, this discredited evidence up till the year 2000, I think. So it's not recent. These are not very recent cases. Right. But, I, but I think that the fact that we can now do chemical analyses of this hair leads us to look at this this they, style of, of testing. That's the one just, thing that's, they said. They were looking at it. They, they said hair is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And I hope the people who are making their decisions in jury rooms based on watching CSI for 15 years know that the Guardian said on hair analysis is virtually worthless as a means of identifying something. But this yeah. is I, what they I mean, had. But to, I don't know. Well, I mean, on a, to what me, they had was wrong. I mean, to me, I, I, this is obviously a horrible, horrible situation, and the story's awful. But I also feel like, you know, for any libertarian, including myself, reading this, 
we sort of look at that and we're like, oh, well, you know, I mean, that's horrible. But it's also not surprising. It's the government. I mean, do we, like, we don't instinctively really? trust... Really? That's, that's... Well, I think... We don't instinctively trust them with a great deal anyway, so know, why but, would this be wow. shocking? But, wow. I find it shocking. It should be shocking. It's shocking and horrible. I think it's, I think and, it's and, horrible, and, depressing, and, and obviously but, it needs but, to be rectified, and I agree with you. I, I, I don't... But it doesn't have to be that way. I thought we were America, the greatest, most exceptional country in the world. You know, I mean, between the abuse of racist cops and between the the plea bargaining. You know that 97% of federal and 94% of state cases are plea bargained? Yeah. Which well, is very easy to coerce. State has a lot of power. Well, the, and the money is in the, on the side of the government in all of this. I mean, that's where the, that's where expert testimony, people get paid by the government. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, like, no, money in, like, even very few, there's, there's, there's Robert Durst. In white, in white know, crown, even you have a lot of And then there's everyone else. Even if that were the case, it's, it's, just a, it's just a structural issue. I mean, the, the government has a great deal of power. This is a prime example of where you see that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we can do better than this. And I How hope could that we do everyone... worse? But I, yeah, I mean, right, but, but, I, don't, but like... I don't think you're going to get rid of the fundamental problem. No, but I mean, on a theoretical, on a... we do, there's, you know, I, I know we wanted, uh, there was a certain point in the 70s and the 80s, Dirty Harry wanted to bring down the, cl- the crime rate. This is how we did it, with bogus evidence and bad cops, and we, we are 4% of the world's well, population, except, well, and we except, put 22% yeah. of the people in jail well, more except, than any well, other except that apparently we didn't, because we've got a bunch of innocent people sitting in jail and a bunch of people who have been put there for doing very minimal, nonviolent things. I mean, you look at, like, yeah. hot yeah. convictions, for I example, do. right? <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, you know, so when people, say, about when people say, oh, well, being tough on crime in this this kind of thing is specifically how we brought the crime rate down. That's actually right. just not substantiated by evidence I, in any way, shape, or form. This is I, what makes people feel that we're doing a good job about being right. tough on crime because they look at the numbers. I think there's a very close but it's correlation. Not I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. Uh, correlation isn't causation. I, I, I know it's not, but the fact is our murder rate now is down to about a quarter of what it was before the start of the war on drugs. And you can, you can call it abusive, you can call it excessive, but the two have something to do with. I, I don't think that that's I, necessarily true. You're that's saying that. the war no. on drugs brought down the murder I, rate? It removed that, a lot of people from the streets. It removed, uh, yes, well, that, in yes. that's cases, uh, undeniable. I, I, I agree, a lot that, of some, I agree okay. that in some cases yeah. prosecutors have been right. able to get violent. Broad, you want to really bring down the murder rate, that, get rid of the war on drugs? Real yeah. Broad. Yeah. Yeah. At least in Mexico. Legalize it, you'll hear a lot of But broad sweeps. Like like gang, what are the the gang indictments that Rico. they have here? In, in, in right. the use of RICO against gangs and things, those two pull in more people than a, in a than a more judicious system would would pull in. But like I, I also crime. think the correlation and causation between a good economy and a rising market That's with the lowering yeah. murder rate. It's like when there's a good economy, people don't want to kill each other. Yeah. Right. There's that. There's also uh, education okay. factors. There are a whole range of societal factors. Yeah. I used to fight yeah. people yeah. in bars all the yeah. time. Now I have money. I don't want to fight yeah. anybody. I, 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 <laughs> you just want to sit uh, on OK Cupid. Yeah. I want, uh, I want to own the bar. Before really, I, run out of, let I me, want to fight you. One more issue. Uh, it was the anniversary of Columbine. Remember Columbine? It was 16 years ago. Wow. Uh, and I feel like that was the last time we actually thought we could do something about gun control. And just to show you where we are on gun control now, uh, Tim McGraw, the country music star, got in trouble with the NRA and assorted gun, I would say, nuts, uh, because a friend of his fiddle player in his band uh, had a kid who was killed at Sandy Hook. So Tim McGraw did a benefit for Sandy Hook Promise. 
a nonprofit charity whose, quote, mission of protecting children from gun violence. Okay, so <laughs> the right-wing websites got on him for that. His opening act quit, calling him a gun grabber, I think. And so Tim McGraw had to release a statement. He said, I support gun ownership. Of course, he's a country music star. <laughs> I also believe that with gun ownership comes the responsibility of education and safety, most certainly when it relates to what we value most, our children. I can't imagine anyone who disagrees with that. Tim, you've got to imagine harder. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't really have but, to imagine. But this is where we are with guns now. That if you say you're sad about dead kids, you're anti-gun. No, but 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 no? but but but, but uh, Sandy Hook was a, was the turning point. I think you're right. If you looked forward from Columbine and asked yourself, what would it take to totally change the attitude towards gun regulation in the country, you would imagine a sort of massacre of the type that happened at at Sandy Hook at a time when the uh, uh, the the White House was held by a Democrat, and and that would that would sure. do the trick. And it didn't. It didn't. And so it's a sign that people are, are, are very serious about... Um, it's, about the, it's a sign that people are very serious about keeping the Second Amendment. Um, and it's also a sign that politicians... People um, or politicians, a lobby or a minority? And, and people. People. The lobby works because there are people and voters who care about it. And the way well, you can tell... And they're wrong. The way you can tell... Certainly that, not how our government... ...is that no system. Democrats, with, with a very few exceptions, like Rosa DeLauro and Correct. Charles Schumer, in the last 10 years, have said a peep against guns because right. they know how people they vote. Because they know how the much money the NRA has. That's why when was the last time you met somebody that thinks for themselves? Like, seriously, I could count them on That's one a large hand. Hold on. Actually, wait a minute. You know, seriously. I mean, there are certainly... There there are five it. of us here now. Well, actually, it's <laughs> structuralism, though. Like, people don't have a chance to speak up. It's like, yes or no. I mean, I went to Orlando, Florida, doing a show for Vice, and these guys, hobbyists, had MAC-10s, 12-gauge shotguns, 45s, AR-15s in their backyard, and they're like, we practice gun safety. We want to show you what's going on. They were throwing grenades, and they almost shot our cameraman. We have footage. A bullet goes six inches past our cameraman and almost shoots him in the lens. And that's actually the kind of violence you say you this be is talking bad. about. This... <laughs> it's good television, you're a, but it's you're bad. You're a nut, Eddie. It's good television, but it's All right. bad. I, I really want to get I, this in. This is actually the kind of violence yes. you should be talking about. People don't realize this. They think the problem is bad guys with guns. And there were um, 11,000 people who died of gun homicides last year. There were 20,000 people who committed suicide. Right. Well, the problem is not bad guys with guns. The problem is good guys with guns who use them on themselves. I'd shift it to saying the problem is actually to do with mental health in no, this country. No, it's not. The most of people it not to do with guns. It, I, it's it's access to guns that's the problem. The problem is that third of the country that's a bunch of fucking rednecks. All right, I have to. I agree. Agree. I have to end it there. It's time for new rules, everybody. New rules. If she wants to attract young voters, Hillary Clinton needs a campaign logo that looks less like hospital parking. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of logos, the designers of the logo for Sarah Palin's pack should talk to the guys who draw Goofy. Uh, They can explain that when you see stars, it doesn't really mean you're looking to the future. It means you just walked into a stop sign. (laughs) 
New rule, if you make your living stalking and killing innocent animals, as professional game hunter Ian Gibson did, and you're leading a safari to kill elephants, as Ian Gibson was, and during that safari, an elephant tramples you to death... Good. And by the way, we know the elephant is the nobler of the two because when the hunter wins, it's the greatest moment of his life. And when the elephant wins, it's... Ew, what did I step in? (laughs) New rule, you could buy a $75 toaster that burns a picture of your face into the bread, but if you just want women who stay over to never come back, say so. What kind of needy loner says, hey, look at that bread you're eating. It's really me. <laughs> New World, the woman who got a tattoo of her favorite band, The Lost Prophets, and then found out the lead singer is a child molester, has to tell the woman with the Cosby tattoo <laughs> that it could be worse. By the way, the worst thing about getting a Cosby tattoo on your thigh, (laughs) what happens when your leg falls asleep? (laughs) Neural, once you're dead, you have to shut up about politics. North Carolina's Larry Upright, yes, Larry Upright, was such a staunch Republican that in his obituary it said, the family respectfully asked that you do not vote for Hillary Clinton. (laughs) And then to honor Larry, they held a moment of Fox News on mute. (laughs) You know what, Larry? If you can think it's funny to campaign against Hillary Clinton in your obituary, then I can think it's funny that you're dead and your name is upright. And finally, new rule, with Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up, we all must agree that the best gift an American kid can give his parents is to sit them down and say, Mom, Dad, we need some space. (laughs) Now, it's true I never had kids, but maybe that gives me some objectivity. And what I see in the generation coming up is these kids are more anxious than a squirrel on crystal meth. And that's not because the kids have changed. It's because the parents have. They're called helicopter parents because they're always hovering, too protective, too always on the case, too always just there. Now if we can only get them to work for the Secret Service. (laughs) So this topic has been much in the news lately because there are now families going against the grain who want to raise their children guided by the radical concept of occasionally letting them out of their sight. A movement that has been dubbed free-range parenting. (laughs) Or as we used to call it, parenting. (laughs) Actually, we didn't even call it that because parenting wasn't a word. Because being a parent wasn't a job description. In the 70s, parenting meant you woke up, went to your kid's room. If they were alive, you were done for the day. (laughs) 
crib monitors? Why? What are they going to do? Turn into werewolves in the middle of the night? <laughs> but that's not how most parents see it these days. And there have been cases of free-range parents running up against the law. A couple in Silver Spring, Maryland, has twice had their kids, 10 and 6, picked up by the cops for walking home alone from the park, which is all of two blocks away. Jeez, I walked farther than that to school every day when I was a kid that age and nobody cared. In fact, my mother always looked a little disappointed when I came back. (laughs) I mean, what kind of country do we live in where the sight of a kid walking alone in his own neighborhood requires a call to 911? Were these kids being chased by a clown with his dick out? (laughs) (laughs) Then shut up and go back to watching Judge Judy. (laughs) We're talking about Silver Spring, Maryland. It's not that perilous. The most dangerous thing out in the fresh air is probably the fresh air. (laughs) When did we get this idea that children should never endure even the slightest risk or experience any disappointment. If the ice cream truck doesn't come, the parents panic and double-strap the kids in the car and rush over to Baskin-Robbins where they disinfect the table and test the cones for gluten. (laughs) Ooh, fun. And for what? A new study confirms that all this excess time with kids is not having a positive effect. Kids, free to engage the world on their own a bit, wind up coming out happier and more creative than the ones who have to put on a helmet to take out the garbage. (laughs) Let the little bastards breathe a little. (laughs) Do you know that American kids now spend 90% of their leisure time at home, plopped on the couch, watching TV, playing video games, We're not raising citizens, we're fattening veal calves. (laughs) And and all because we think outside is where the baby snatchers are, and inside is where it's safe. Right. Inside, where the pornography (laughs) is at their fingertips 24-7. I have news for you. That's the thing that's going to really fuck them up for the rest of their lives. When I was a kid... It was a thrill to find an old Playboy in the neighbor's garage. But now every 10-year-old can whip out his phone and in seconds be looking at a team of Japanese businessmen (laughs) ejaculating on a squid. (laughs) And if that doesn't convince you, parents, nothing will. All right, that's our show. I'll be at the Kiva in Albuquerque May 2nd at the Bayou in Houston May 3rd and at the Ulster Arts Center in Kingston, New York, June 6th. I want to thank Anna Marie Cox, Chris Caldwell, Liz Mayer, Eddie Wong, and Robert Kennedy Jr., Join us now on Overtime on YouTube. Thank you, folks. Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 11 or watch them anytime on HBO On Demand. For more info, log on to HBO.com.